This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It's cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins. Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, be that city. Hey there, howdy, howdy, howdy. This is Jay West Texas Leeson. Thank you for hanging out here on the other side of Texas, telling your friends you do. Ever-growing program and audience, and hats off to you all, to y'all, the proper nomenclature, uh, to the, uh, according to iTunes, number 11 news and political podcast in these United States of America, but mostly concerned about the nation of Texas. Uh, Rolling along here in the studios where Buddy Holly became famous, broadcasting from Racer Car Wash Studios, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Check them out at racercarwash.com. Find the location closest to you. Uh, they guarantee it, and we use them, and we like them. You want to be a part of the program, send great text to 806-745-5800. Folks, fast-moving program, and we will get to texts that are worth worth reading, and several of you send those texts along the way. So, rubbing my hands together, great show for you ahead. Ross Ramsey up about... Uh, ten minutes from now, the Texas Tribune executive editor on whose, uh, it's not a real couch, but on whose couch I go and rest my head and ask him the questions of the day. Because you know that I'm a West Texican, and I see all this stuff play out in state politics, and I think about my place, and I just have some questions to ask about why things are the way they are, we'll get into a little bit of where public education funding and is coming from and why more and more of it is coming from you. Uh, that and a little bit more from Ross Ramsey coming up. Hashtag TXED, Texas Education. And then coming up second half of the program, a Democrat, unlike a lot of people have seen, run in West Texas, not sticking to the national headlines, what the Democratic National Party has to say. His name is Drew Landry, and he's running right here as uh, a part of Lubbock, a big chunk of Lubbock, and then six other counties. Drew Landry will be on about 25, 30 minutes from now, but Here's why I want to start. I've had, I've had some people email and ask me to repeat what I said here on this program on Monday. And it's that uh, this weekend there was a gala down at Texas A&M. And it was to introduce, let me get this right. <clears throat> a Texas A&M Distinguished Alumni Gala. And it was a black tie event, very formal event. And each of uh, the recipients of the award for Distinguished Alumni got to choose their own song. Some of those in line were Kathleen Gibson, uh, Duke Hobbs, and you might have heard this name before, uh, Robert Earl Keane. But amongst those, Eddie Joe Davis, uh, Joe Swinbank, a few others, there was also one, John Sharp. Now, I mentioned this earlier this week in the program, but you're coming off of 
the ousting of Bob Duncan and everything that's happened at Texas Tech. And if, look, if you want to know the, the political hubris of John Sharp, a man who I've said before uh, knows his way out of trouble as good as well as he knows his way into trouble. Again, we appreciate all those listeners down in College Station. And to the question, and I've addressed this a couple of times, something we're not giving up in the Regent Gate saga is A&M's influence throughout the way. And John Sharp, as a distinguished alumni of Texas A&M, gets to choose his own song. And what song did John Sharp choose last Friday? We're... This broadcast, this episode being on the uh, the 10th of October, Wednesday. What did John Sharp choose as his walk-up song for his award? I'm told awkward laughter as he approached the stage to this song. Not necessarily what you think is in the A&M scope of... You know, super conservative, uh, given the band that he chose, the song itself sends a message, and it was... Drives around in an old Ford, shoots coyotes, and I'm looking at the YouTube video as it plays. Bodysuit, lots of uh, chest hair showing, but no need in trying to break down the hypocrisy involved. That being so, that's just a message. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. Uh, stunning John Sharp as I have, that he knew that that was going to come forward would leak up to the other side of Texas and other places. So pretty brazen at this point. Uh, and this is to people with whom I've been in correspondence about this. This may help John Sharp in kind of that Aggie hysteria, that Aggie pride but it doesn't help him outside of that. And there's a battle to fight on that vet school. By the way, breaking news announcement here on the program. I will. My children have all chosen. There was like a cute time with my kids. We got four little kids. And we were one, one year. They were Wizard of Oz. And Charlie was a little scarecrow. Now he's four, but he was a scarecrow. And then we had the 10 man of the line, the nine-year-old boys, 10 man of the line. And then we had Dorothy. And that was Grace. Uh, more on Judy Garland uh, coming up. But <clears throat> that was a cute time for us all to dress up. Now they've all gone their different ways. And Charlie wants to be King Koopa. This uh, this Halloween, and the boys are going to be those inflatable T-Rexes. We're two years behind the curb there, but that's what they want to be. But I myself will be donning a white lab coat, Texas Tech Health Sciences Center, a three-inch flat top. I will be, and I've grown my hair out a long ways to prepare for Halloween this year, 2018, I will be soon to be named the sole finalist for chancellor, former president of the Texas Tech Health Sciences Center. I will be Ted Mitchell for Halloween. And, uh, you know, we'll play out how that fight goes and where Bob Duncan is involved in the lobbying effort for the vet school but I think that Ted Mitchell has plenty of weapons at his disposal so far as Regent Gate goes, and maybe he can get beyond Regent Gate. A lot of unanswered questions still following up on those. Now, to move forward, last night, and I think that Daniel has, he found us some promo music here, and what is it? Because I'm going to do a film, a film review. 
Yeah. Last night, we, me and Mrs. Leeson, Mrs. Leeson and I, to be grammatically correct, went and watched A Star is Born, went out for a good dinner, and then, because, you know, we're able to do that, uh, went and got us a good dinner, and then went to A Star is Born. Now, I didn't realize this, but it's a movie that's been remade several times for the first time in 1937 by a couple of people that you won't recognize 1954 Judy Garland James Mason 1976 Barbara Streisand Chris Christopherson or as the aforementioned Robert O'Keefe says in his live album number two Chris Christopherson and then remade and directed by Bradley Cooper whole spiel on Bradley Cooper yesterday 2018 and i gotta say i no spoiler alerts here but there's lots of news about how this movie in vogue put up a piece yesterday a star is born the new titanic discuss and i thought the movie was completely I went in, my wife was preparing me, don't you go in and you try to like mansplain, you try to man um, interpret this movie. And I did my best for my lovely bride of 17 years coming up here on October 20th. I didn't do that. But I gotta tell you, I was expecting a lot based on all the hype for the movie. There is gratuitous nudity. I just want to lay that out for you. Uh, And not having to do with Bradley Cooper, but his co-star in the movie. Completely predictable along the way. You know what's going to happen. And in the end, and this is my interest in like following national narratives. So far as things like suicide are concerned, they pinned it all on. If you've seen the movie, this is not a spoiler alert. If you've seen the movie or read anything about the movie, you know what's going to happen because it's absolutely predictable, but blames it all on the person who committed the deed. And it just, I left the movie and I thought, is that it? That's all? I don't know. Your reviews of A Star is Born as you watch it. Uh, Jay at Other Side of Texas, show at Other Side of Texas. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I probably would have preferred to watch Glory or play the game Risk as opposed to A Star is Born. But that's just me. Hell County forever. That's the way my brain works. Uh, somebody who makes our brains work a little bit differently is Ross Ramsey. He'll be up here in a couple of minutes. Quick break on your other side. Going to get into it. Ross Ramsey, Drew Landry coming up right here on your other side of Texas. Uh, welcome back in to the other side of Texas. Sorry for that little technical glitch there. Every week we have our friend Ross Ramsey, executive editor of the Texas Tribune, here on the program. And here he is now, Ross Ramsey. How are things down the Austin way? Going pretty well. Everything's pretty great. Um you're following a lot of things. I know that I saw a little bit of the Tribcast. You guys stream that every Wednesday about noon, about noon o'clock. Uh, people it's around can, lunchtime, right. Uh, can log. What were you talking about today there on the Tribcast? Uh, we knocked around a lot of things. Um, we, you know, talking about the fundraising numbers that are starting to come in, talking about the polling that's starting to come in. You know, it's a month before the election. Things are starting to happen. And not even a month before the election, when does early voting start as we broadcast this on Wednesday, October 10? It's uh, 12 days away, the 22nd. Monday the 22nd, we go for two weeks, the 22nd through the 2nd. We rest for three days, and then we come back and do the last, you know, 30 or 40 percent of the voting. You know, more than half of Texans vote 
more than half of the Texans who do vote, I should say, vote before Election Day. So Election Day is sort of a misnomer. It's more like Election Month. Yeah, and we vote for a long time. I mean, I just, in the primaries, we spend more days not voting than we spend voting. Kind of gets a little bit obnoxious. And I'm thinking about taking your track for people who don't follow you closely. Like, and I said this, I spoke at a uh, a Texas Tech Communications event last week. I remember growing up thinking, I wonder how Tom Brokaw votes. And then Tom Brokaw... You know, in my 30s, I follow him on Twitter. I'm pretty sure Uh how Tom Brokaw votes. Dan Rather, the same way. Uh, But I cannot get a beat on Ross Ramsey, and I'm not going to put you on the spot here. But you do not vote in the primaries, Ross Ramsey. I don't vote in primaries, um, you know. um, Because people can pull up the public record and figure out how you voted? Well, that's part of it. Part of it is, you know, if you don't vote in those primaries, you don't have to decide on, you know, I'd rather be with these guys or those guys, and you can just hold it in suspense, and that makes it, you know, easier for me to to write, and easier for me to to think about it, is, you know, get all the information that you have to have in order to make a decision, and then if you're going to write about it, don't actually make the decision, just write about it. Let everybody else make their decisions. Okay. Uh, Ross Ramsey, at Ross Ramsey on Twitter. Let's get into it, and guys, we're just going... I remember being injured in high school with these high ankle sprains and everything else because I was a legend in Abernathy, Texas. I didn't know... I don't know if you knew that or not, Ross, but uh, I I did not know that. In football and basketball, and the key is to put your... Put your foot into the ice bucket slowly. So let's do that here, acknowledging that there's a dismal, abysmal turnout in voters with our listeners here. And let's just slowly get into this. One thing that affects whether or not you vote or not, and you should, but if one thing that affects everybody, and this is always my thesis. Texas government affects your day-to-day life more than any other form of government is property taxes and how much of those property taxes go towards public education. And that has shifted to property owners versus the state over what duration of time and why Ross Ramsey. And, And I should mention Ross Ramsey every Monday, Wednesday and Friday post a piece, and this is a lo- uh, recent piece that he has posted. Yeah, the, the short form of this is that, you know, the state and local governments have a sort of a deal. It's described in state law on school finance, and it is the state will pay part, the locals will pay part, the state will pay it out of its taxes, the locals will pay them out of property taxes primarily, and there's some federal money thrown in, and, and it periodically gets out of balance, and that's why every 10 or 15 years we have school finance cases. I have a newspaper in a frame in my office, and one of the headlines is about schools and state politics, and the date is 1931. So we've been doing this for a little while. But the last time we balanced it was in 2007, in the 2008 school year, the local taxpayers paid 45% of the cost of public education. The state paid 45%, just like the locals, and the feds paid the other dime. If you go all the way to 2019 projections for next school year, it'll be 55.5% local, 35% state, and about a dime federal. Um, So it's gradually shifted. Part of this is when the economy is booming and property values are rising around the state, the formulas are set up to, you know, see how much local money the property taxes will bring in and then use state money to even things out. And we've had a long, long boom in property taxes and property values, and that's fed that machine. The state officials will tell you, you know, that's how the formulas work. They're a little bit slower to tell you, you know, that they wrote the formulas. Um, And, you know, to be fair to them, when things go the other way, when property values fall and property taxes are bringing in less money, the local share is going to drop and the state share is going to go back up. But right now it's about 20% or 20 percentage points different than it was just um, 11 years ago. Yeah, so, Ross, I'll... The same forum that I was mentioning earlier, 
It's called fake news. You're reporting, and I'm just going to throw you into this pool. There are state leaders right now, the lieutenant governor on down, who call your citation, many other citation of these facts that how the state's share has has been pushed over to the taxpayer. And as you say, and what uh, I don't know what it is without the federal dime, but some I would assume some 55 percent has shifted over to local property taxpayers. They call it fake news. What do you say, Ross Ramsey, whenever you read something like that? that, Well, we disagree with those numbers. It's fake news. Is there something that justifies their claim? Well, these numbers are not my numbers. They're from the Legislative Budget Board, which is co-chaired by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Speaker Joe Strauss. And the members of that 10-member committee are members of the House and the Senate, and the agency was set up within the legislature to give them the best budget numbers. So I'm getting my best budget numbers or their best budget numbers from the legislature itself. And if they don't like the numbers, then they should talk to their staff about the numbers they're putting out. Nice. This is in a publication called Fiscal Size Up that's published by the Legislative Budget Board. It's available online. It's a big, fat book, but it's more understandable than the budget itself. And there's a chart on page 205 that describes everything I just told you. Uh, Ross Ramsey at Ross Ramsey there at uh, at the Texas Tribune. Ross, so let's switch over. And like I said, we're going to put our ankles slowly into the ice bucket here. The Legislative Budget Board is something that I've written about as, with regards to what's gone on at Texas Tech and the movements that were made with the ousting of Bob Duncan Explain to people the Legislative Budget Board and the people who are elected or appointed to that board, I should say, and what an uncomfortable position it becomes when, as is now, the Texas House and the Senate is, I think, probably always are at one another's throats. You know, it's kind of a dog with two leashes. It's a, you know, it's a, it's an agency that's run by the House and the Senate. There are four or five of these that are, you know, basically resource agencies. One of them is the Legislative Council. It's like a law firm built inside the legislature. They draft legislation. They do all the mapping work on redistricting for both Republicans and Democrats. That's how well-trusted they are. The Legislative Library keeps, you know, all the stuff you'd need to look up if you were trying to get legislation done or try to figure out what your predecessors had done. The state auditor's office looks, you know, looks at the books for everybody, and the legislative budget board is the place where they send all of their, you know, numbers and agency requests and everything to put together and be their, um, you know, sort of the gnomes that help them through the budget as they write the budget every because two years. And then every sessions, what you just said. Let me just butt in here. Every two years, so leading up to a legislature that meets every odd year. It's in these months in which we're speaking right now, like in October, November, December, things really heat up within the Legislative Budget Board that sets the numbers for the political battles that will come within the legislature that meets every other year in odd years. You know, they're not in the position where they're supposed to be making the decisions, but they're in in the place where they're putting the budget together based on, you know, what they're hearing from the agencies initially and then as... The House Appropriations and the Senate Finance Committee began changing this number and tweaking that number. They're basically in there to uh, knock the budget around, to let everybody know what the score is at all times. You haven't spent more much more money than you have. You're going over here. Look out for that. And they're the ones who, at the end of it, print a budget. And then, you know, in between legislative sessions, from time to time, the legislature will want to move some money around. And the only way to do that without the legislature in town is by something called budget execution, and that's where the Legislative Budget Board gets together. It's 10 members. Um, As I said, it's chaired by the lieutenant governor and the speaker. It includes the chairs of finance in the Senate, appropriations in the House, ways and means in the House, that's the tax writing committee, and then five members that are appointed by the, uh, five members of the legislature appointed by the lieutenant governor and the speaker. And they're allowed to move money around if they can agree on stuff. When they can't agree on stuff, you know, it puts the staff of these agencies into sort of a bind, and the latest person who's kind of fallen to that is Ursula Parks, who's been the director of the LBB for some years now and has 
at the as of last week announced her resignation at the end of the month. So the uh, LBB and the state auditor and the Texas um, Sunset Advisory Commission are all operating without executive directors as we go into the legislative session. It's going to be kind of interesting. I mean, how interesting, uh, you know, like this is uh, dumpster fire interesting or? It's not dumpster fire interesting, but it's, you know, it is a situation where, you know, these agencies are basically resources for the legislature. They're nonpartisan. Uh, sometimes the legislature or some people in the legislature from whatever angle wishes they were more partisan. Um, you know, their their object here, I mean, their job is to, you know, in the case of the Legislative Budget Board, produce the numbers that we need in order to write a budget. And if it's bad news, let us know. And if it's good news, let us know. And we'll take care of the rest. Um, so the LBB is a little bit in the air right now. Um, I think they'll probably land. There's a lot of really great people over there. But it's interesting that these agencies are, you know, at the moment headless and that we're going into a legislative session where the House is going to choose a new speaker and we will find out probably within the next eight months whether the House and the Senate are going to get along better than they have or whether they're going to get along the way they've been getting along, which is not so well, and what that means for these agencies and ultimately for how state government operates for the next couple of years. Uh, Ross Ramsey, as we get into our ankles a little bit deeper into the uh, ice cooler here on your other side of Texas, uh, Ross Ramsey, there are three names that a lot of West Texans would recognize, and they are Drew, uh, Travis Clardy, who grew up, in West Texas and now in East Texas. Uh, and you've also got Drew Darby down in San Angelo and then up to the north from where we're broadcasting, you have Four Price. Uh, those are three names. I don't mean to discount the other names involved in the process, but now it is a matter, and I've not checked in with their staffs, but I think that now they're essentially running statewide campaigns, and they postpone, the caucus has postponed the vote until after the November elections. Um, do you have any read on how that race is going to go, or do you think it's going to be some name in the end, kind of like an Abraham Lincoln nomination, where somebody we never expected would come forward as speaker? I don't think there's enough information yet. I think the members themselves haven't um, made up their minds. You know, they're waiting till after the election because there's some open seats. There are going to be 20 or 30 new members in the Texas House. And that's when you know who all of the 150 members are who are going to be voting on this thing. And that's when you can really start talking about how are you going to vote, how's he going to vote, how's she going to vote, and go down the line like that. I'm not convinced that the seven people who have actually filed so far are the full field, and I'm not convinced that all seven of them are going to stay in the race. I think that, you know, once we've got the elections behind us and they start really talking to each other, we'll get down to three or four candidates who may or may not be in that seven. And then, you know, I have, you know, you can start betting right there. I've got friends who think this is going to settle up very quickly after the election. I have friends who think it's going to settle up in early January. You're going to have to put me in the in that latter category. I think they'll hold off on a decision and you know work it all the way till the session starts in January. Um, but I don't think it's I, I think it's too early to know who's going to walk away with this. And and part of it is that there are a bunch of candidates who are more or less acceptable to the House, and you can squint at them and say I could see that one winning or that one or the other one. Um, there are a couple of candidates that I don't think are going to get there. Uh, one of them is a Democrat who filed for this. I think, you know, unless something extraordinary happens, it's going to be a Republican majority. And I think, you know, that would, that would be very difficult. But I just think it's, you know, for all of the talk and for all of the conversation that's going on and all the politicking that's going on right now, I just think it's too early to know what the front runner is, who yeah. the front runner is. Okay, so what you what do you have coming down the pike there, Ross Ramsey? As I get up from your political counselor couch, um, elections, elections, elections. You know, we're starting to get uh, the last quarterly finance reports from the candidates. You know, a lot of candidates have raised a lot of money. Um, there's a lot of money from a couple of groups going into Republican elections. Um, so we're mapping that even as we speak. Uh, I'm working on stories now. And, 
you know, from here, just, you know, like I said, we're 12 days from election. It's on. Hmm. Uh, how, man, where's this rank? You've been doing this for decades, Ross Ramsey. What you see right now with the Senate race, the U.S. Senate race, the House race, knowing what you know about the House versus the Senate in Texas, how much are you as interested as ever as an observer and somebody who writes commentary and analysis on all this? Yeah, it's it's a fascinating election. And, you know, you know, part of that is, a you know, I, I think every election's you know, got something to it that's very interesting. There are a couple of things that are going the way this year that you would expect them to go. And so that, you know, may not raise your eyebrows as much. A bunch of the statewide races, for example, look like um, it would be very difficult for Republicans to lose, for Democrats to win. But then we've got this Senate race that's, you know, the gangbuster of the country right now. So there's always something um, interesting and new and fresh. And, you know, to me, that's what makes politics interesting. And he helps you make it interesting, Ross Ramsey, or at least understandable, Ross Ramsey, at the Texas Tribune. And I appreciate your time, buddy. Always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. And talk to you next week. Ross Ramsey, ladies and gentlemen, as we sign off there with Ross. And I don't know if we get Daniel, can we give him his, yeah, we're going to give him his, his due there, Ross Ramsey. Hey, uh, coming up on the other side, we've got the uh, new kind of Democrat running. I would say new kind of Democrat, but also willing to, challenge him on this he's he's not stuck with trump versus anybody and uh made some inroads i think i think we're gonna hear from him he is drew landry running out of house district 83 which covers lubbock county a little bit of lubbock county and then uh what six other counties getting with drew landry right here after the break Raven on right here on your other side of Texas, which is brought to you by and sponsored by Mullen, Horde, and Brown LLP with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and love all you see you guys there on the podcast. Number 11 in the country. Appreciate all you guys in DFW listening and just maybe thinking back to your roots here. In the other side of Texas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. And as you guys so often ask me to remind you, you can be a part of the program with great text. 806-745-5800. Some great West Texican text there on the program we do have in studio drew landry who is running as a democrat for texas house seat 83 just got off with our friend ross ramsey of the texas tribune calls it a very interesting election uh, Drew Landry, let's get in with this, and I'll just recite the last time you were on the program. Whenever you meet somebody, this is what I've been told by people. I met somebody very interesting the other day. His name is Drew Landry. He stuck his right hand out. He told me he was running for Texas House 83, maybe the most ingeniously drawn district in Texas. Yeah. Uh, essentially six, as I see it, Drew Landry, six rural counties mm-hmm. to offset the votes in Tech Terrace, yeah. which is a lot of tech professors, mm-hmm. a lot of young professionals in Lubbock who right. may or may not have Beto O'Rourke signs in their front yards, which may or not be good for you. We'll yeah. get into that as we go on. Sure. But uh, Tom DeLay's redistricting, is seeming to me to be the most effective in House District 83. But you hold your right hand out. You introduce yourself with your left hand. You put in their face your lifetime NRA membership card. Uh, well, uh, I don't remember doing doing that. I have. You don't do that? I, I, I don't. I've got, I've got several people who say that you do that. Well, the thing is, is that whenever... They'll ask me, you know, they'll say, well, 
are you like, you know, like a super crazy gun control person? And I just say, well, look, I can tell you that I'm not and that I support the Second Amendment. Or I can say, look, here's here's my here's some proof that I do support the Second Amendment in a lot of ways. And so I just, you know, here, you know, here's my here's my card. But you know where I think in. You and I have talked before, but this mm-hmm. time we're going to kind of get into it. Okay. What I think the point of departure for for a lot of people, and what I fight against on this program, mm-hmm. is that the regional and local narrative is driven by the national narrative. Yeah. And Drew Landry, I don't know how you run against that. Yeah. But. I think there are a lot of people who draw upon their local can. Like, I remember going out after Todd Klein resigned and campaigning for my friend Mari Stanley. And after him, mm-hmm. Jeff Griffith, in my district, in mm-hmm. my, now hold on, in my city council district. And people constantly wanted to know what was fair, but also was not tangential Politically, well, what is what is Mari Stanley? What, what does my city councilman think about gun rights? Well, yeah. it doesn't really matter what your city councilman thinks about that. Right. Uh, it it matters what your state representative or what your congressman right thinks about that. But sure. people extrapolate what they see on the national news mm-hmm. and try to draw into the. Um, the local news and the regional news and Drew Landry, I just want to ask you, I've made the case on the program Mm -hmm. that the Kavanaugh stuff will have bearing on the statewide stuff, whether that be Beto O'Rourke versus Ted Cruz or from the Texas Senate or even into the Texas house. Yeah. What do you think about the national stuff? And do you, have to field questions for it. First of all, do you feel it necessary to answer those questions knowing the roles, goals, and expectations yeah. of a state representative? Well, that's an interesting question, and I have to put on my uh, government professor hat to answer the first part. Because you are? Because I teach government at South Plains College, okay. and that that's what I do. There's one of the most prolific researchers in political science was a guy by the name of V.O. Key, Victor Orlando Key. And he wrote a book called State Politics. And what he posits in there is that state politics get washed in the tide of national politics. Was he writing from a Texas perspective or a national perspective as it relates to state politics? He was writing on um, what influences, I guess you can say from a national perspective to uh, for your question there, but he was writing, you know, what is one of the biggest drivers for, for state politics? You know, why do people vote the way that they do in particular ways? And so he says that that state politics gets washed in this tide of national politics. So whenever you mention about, you know, trying to differentiate between the two, that's what me as a candidate has to do. I have to do that. And so when people want to, you know, no one's really wanted to talk to me about Brett Kavanaugh. You know, well, Judge Kavanaugh, excuse me. Uh, no one's wanted to talk to me. Justice Kavanaugh. Yes, yes, yeah. Ju- yeah. Associate Justice Kavanaugh. Excuse me. Uh, no one's wanted to, you know, beat me down over the head about, you know, with with all this other stuff, you know, dealing with that. Um, I do get questions about immigration, and they ask me about the wall and all that stuff. And what I say is, look, that's a federal issue. The you know the government wants to take care of that. This and hey, great. You you have issues about that. You know, talk to Dr. Lavario, talk to Congressman Arrington, Congressman O'Rourke, and Ted and and uh, Senator Cruz. Let's have that conversation. One thing that brings in a lot of people is when I mention one person's name, and his name is Dan Patrick. And I see people turning. Who from, is? Who is the Lieutenant Governor? Thank you. And you're welcome. And I t- I see people turning from Bruce Banner into the Hulk, in the right when I mention his name, and it is. For good reason, because he ha- he's bringing out an all-out assault on public education and our retired teachers. Uh, he doesn't focus on issues of Texas. He's more worried about California and, and, and Nike and all these other silly things that simply don't matter to everyday average Texans. And so whenever I say, look, if you're, you know, you know when we talk about public ed and we talk about our, our, our roads and we talk about our health care, 
um, I I keep that's my strategy. Is that that's that's what I talk about, and so I don't spend a lot of time about you know dealing with you know what shoes or you know somebody's wearing or who the spokesman is or where people go to the bathroom. That's that's Dan Patrick's agenda. That's his future for Texas. Is that he doesn't he's concerned about California, and so is my opponent. If they're so concerned about California, move to California and run for office over there, Danny Gobe, who is also, you know, that's his real name, by the way. That's that's Dan Patrick's real name. Um, but you're, so, you say your opponent, and I appreciate that lots of times people in – I've seen this over and over again. They don't want to name – but your opponent is mm-hmm. – Yeah, his name's uh, – oh, what is his name? Uh, uh, Dustin Burroughs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> State representative, I think, in a uh, un, unfulfilled, maybe an unfulfilled, no, he was he was named and then he was elected into mm-hmm. this and now up for re-election. And whenever you say turns into Bruce Banner to the Hulk, uh, to Hulk, uh, to not Hulk Hogan. <laughs> what to, you got to do? To the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> uh yeah, I think that you're right on those regards, that Dan Patrick is much more comfortable talking about national issues mm-hmm. than he is those local issues. And you mentioned public education. We mm-hmm. just had Ross Ramsey on the program. Yeah, I think uh, notes that I took in that interview was that uh, 35% going into 2019, 35% of the share will be the state share for uh, public education and then you've got the federal dime and then how much ever over is going to be paid by property taxpayers. Yep. Yep. You're going to see a rise in your property taxes because of the lowering of state share. I mean, the, the, the TEA, the Texas education agency has already written a letter to the, to the uh, um, leadership saying we don't need as much money from you guys as we did before to the tune of $2 billion. Um, that, you know, so when Dan Patrick is on his fake rocking chair with the fake dog and riding that fake, uh, truck of his, that, and with his fake hair and his fake name saying, I'm not going to raise your taxes. That is an all out lie. That's a bald face lie. And because in the 2017, 2019 budget that he signed in there, it's in the line that the, that the property taxes will rise. And now as we're going into the 86th legislative session, uh, we're, it's your property taxes are going to rise again. And let alone the fact that ASATAR, additional state aid uh, for tax uh, uh, reduction, which is uh, for counties that are boom and bust upon uh, natural gas and, and oil, which is things like Gaines County, Borden County, Scurry County, which oddly enough are all in District 83. Um, ASATAR, that program's gone. It's gone. They got rid of it, and uh, it when it expired, it you know um, again. My opponent said, "Well, there's money there." Well, it, they turned it into a grant program that you have to show that why you need it. That's not uh, you know these boom and bust counties, uh, these schools that are dependent upon it are now heavily 100 percent relying on on the tax base. Okay, it's Drew Landry with us here about 90 seconds before we catch next yeah. break, and you're going to stay over yes into it sure. Uh, Tell me this. Mm-hmm. I just look at this and I think, you know, Selena, tomorrow on the program, mm-hmm. a uh, shameless plug, Selena Zito is going to be on the program. Somebody who writes from a middle leaning right perspective, mm-hmm. Catherine Hayhoe, will also be on the program, an evangelical Christian pushing for climate change mm-hmm. at Texas Tech. And those are. Those really interesting interviews for me. Oh, yeah. But what's also interesting to me is that you call yourself, and, it, and tell me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. you're a pro-life mm-hmm. Democrat. Yeah. And you're a pro-Second Amendment Democrat. That's right. Does that lose you votes within what some would perceive as the current Democratic Party? There are those who are in, in the party who are uh have told me that they're disappointed, that they're upset to, about to it. To what extent are you pro-life? Well, uh, to the extent where there's um, uh, 
rape, incest, the life of the mother's in, in danger. I think those in all other aspects. So um, you're Bill Clinton so, yeah. before political expediency. <laughs> sure. Gonna, yeah. Gonna, list all those things. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, like, when in your mind, Drew Landry, is it appropriate to have an abortion ever? Well, if a woman's been raped, if if there's incest that that's been going on, but or if the life of, of the mother is in danger, I none think, of I this think trimester are, stuff. Yeah. Do you throw down trimester? <sighs> I think that's a bit too specific. Uh, you know, if if is it too too specific? Or? I mean, well, let, let me let me expand on that just just for just a, a short second here. Is that, you know, whenever if if it comes to the point that they're in the pregnancy and the doctor says, look, either you need to plan your your funeral or you need to have an abortion, um, that is putting that couple in a tremendously difficult situation that I don't wish upon anybody. But I think that is where a time where you can have that kind of choice. And I think that needs when, to be When a, risk a, is upheld. on the line. Absolutely. And I don't know when exactly that happens. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. So it's and not breaking based news. Upon... I don't, I don't have a uterus either. So <laughs> you're lucky Daniel isn't here to play the breaking news. So it's not a matter of progression of the pregnancy. So can I assume mm-hmm. that you, Drew Landry, believe mm-hmm. the point of conception is life? I think there's a lot of science to to suggest that that's kind of where we are, but at the same time, I, you know, th- this is a pretty difficult question, because you know, we, you know, what is it, six weeks, and then the, you know that there's a heartbeat, and then you know, when do you become you know vital after what, 24 weeks is when you become vital as as a fetus? Look, viable. You know, yeah, viable. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm you know using my um, adult words here. Uh, when you become viable, so you know that's you know. When it comes to down to to restrictions, um, I don't see how that's going to really help help the but woman because remember question, though, because is... remember though those who have abortions are not in you know these these uppity white class you know, I'm sorry these uppity upper class white women living in suburbs it's it's in the rural urban uh, lower socioeconomic areas where they're having these things. And so in order for them to stop having abortions, we have to have these areas where they're part of the economic dream to where they are viable in their own sense to take care just, of, 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 okay. of these pregnancies. So, but Drew Landry, you just told me it's not a matter of socioeconomics. It's a matter of rape or incest. Yes. And otherwise. Yes. I, that's, that's what I'm saying is it, it is when we, that's where I stand on the issue. Okay, so I appreciate you going there. Yeah. And here's the and this is no what I'm about to lay out. We're going to go to break whenever <laughs> I feel like it's convenient to go to break. But something that I've laid out before is that it is incongruent in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I've challenged you and now I'm I may be throwing you a, a softball pitch. Oh. It is it's incongruent in my mind that this if to me, the state is high support, high challenge, okay? And that's any role in leadership. If you're going to require mm. by a state that these births take place, yeah. if you're willing to, and that would assume effectively an overthrow of Roe v. Wade, which would be a very yeah. pro-life measure. And I think that you've, you've towed the line here with Kavanaugh and others on pro-life but here's my deal if you're going to require that then we ought not have the acute care therapy issues that we have in texas where guess what if you're going to require by state law that children be born conjuncted twins Mm -hmm. babies who will grow into toddlers and then teenagers who live in a chair Mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives with Mm g-tubes then there ought to be the state measures going forward to also incentivize the caring because there is look my my I remember whenever my firstborn was born mm-hmm. there were 3D pictures that we got of grace mm-hmm. when charlie was born and i think a um a 7 year 8 year difference between the two when charlie was born 4D and we were told everything about Charlie, mm-hmm. where he was so far as mental capacity, health capacity, otherwise. Mm-hmm. 
But I can't imagine, and I seriously cannot imagine a doctor walking in the room saying, he will have these disabilities, what do you want to do? Yeah. And so if the answer, if, if that question is posed with X, Y, and Z, health challenges, then to me, it's just a simple matter of reciprocity by the same state that requires the baby be born, not going on blind faith, but adhering to the law of the land that there are, there's going to be the support and the state has cut support for such children. Well, well, the state likes to cut support for a lot of things and they like to mandate to a lot of things. And, you know, there's this ongoing movement about what's called a Texans for Vaccine Choice which is a pro-disease group that says you not getting a vaccine is perfectly fine. And they, how in the world, and these are done by what is often referred to as pro-life Republicans, and they will offer money to people to say it's okay to not get a vaccine. How in the world can you say you're pro-life and not want, and not want to have a vaccine? I don't understand that point. This seems like a, a complete uh, 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 oxymoronic notion here of how you can be demand that that something be born but nope if you're you know we're going to cut you off with with medicaid funding or or we're going to cut off more stuff and you can't have vaccinations and 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 all of these the it's it's just oxymoronic and so look um you know this is a i i i know abortion is a very passionate issue for a lot of people but you know my campaign is based upon how we can better inform people going forward. And so what we have to always remember is that we're not going to have any better information unless we start supporting our public schools. And that's what we always have to really, that's, that's the whole basis of everything. You think this whole everything. thing comes down to public schools and not homes? Well, you would hope that it would come down to homes, but, but as we continually look at things, you know, we always have to remember that, that with a better funded public education area, with a better public education, um, um, you know, bu- a better public educated teachers and retired teachers and all of these sets of, 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 of aspects, we are going to have much better choices going, going forward when it comes to a whole host of things. And, we'll, you know, we'll have, you know, and just to, just to go on here, because, you know, look, we we owe it to ourselves to have an educated workforce and have an, a, uh, a college ready uh, uh, graduates, and so that's what we have to really come down to. I mean, I would love for the fact that that homes would always, you know, you know, uh, uh, provide this and that and 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 the other. But when it comes right down to it, that's not the reality of the situation. Okay. And I wish it was, but. But it isn't. I'm going to pause you there, and I'm going to lay this out as a teaser, being a great radio host, as I believe I am. Kyle's saying, don't you laugh at me. I'll run you down right now. Low-hanging fruit for me. Kyle's saying, does he realize that he is a bunking, I believe, bunking his own political, his own party's platform in Texas on uh, this issue of life. We're going to get into a quick break, going to go make some money, make this a profitable program, get back in with Drew Landry as we come back in from break. Listen, it's Leveland. That's in your district, right? That's not? Okay. All right. Well, it'd been cute if it were. Uh, stick with us right here on the other side. Makes you wonder. Hey, welcome back into the other side. Finishing up with Drew Landry running for House District 83 out of Lubbock and two surrounding counties. Intrigue here is that, uh, you know, I get requests for different people to come on the program. Got a request actually from surrogates of the Utah governor to come on the other side of texas i'm saying well that is west of i-35 we only take people up who we think are interesting and drew landry's positions based upon the question we got before the break you're bucking the texas democratic platform there on the life issue but that's why we have drew landry in this segment brought to you by lubbock file room excuse me Sorry about that. 
little glitch in Lubbock file room. <laughs> Lubbock file room providing safe and secure documents shredding and storage services to Lubbock and the surrounding areas since 1992. Do you need some documents destroyed? Maybe stored? Uh, maybe what do you, you should, got? maybe you should look into what they've got going there at LubbockFileRoom.com. Free and hassle-free estimate. Uh, call them up 806-744-7666. LubbockFileRoom.com. Drew Landry in studio, a Democrat. Uh, calls himself a uh, pro-Second Amendment, pro-life Democrat. Are you bucking the party, Drew Landry? I don't think this is the end-all, be-all when it comes to democratic you know, politics is your stance on on this particular issue. I mean, I was asked this question several months ago, even, heck, last year when I started this thing. Um, look, uh, the Texas Democratic Party has a stance on it. I have a different stance on it. You know, um, That's just the way that it is. That's how parties and campaigns can, can work. Uh, I have to be reflective of the district that I want to represent. And so, you know, this is something that is very, very uh, uh, passionate about a lot of people. And so, um, you know, this is what I aim to represent. And does the party represent your your district? What would be your district, Drew Landry? There's a lot of things where it, it does, such as Medicaid expansion in the rural areas, you know, wanting to help out the rural hospitals that are having a tough time paying off their, their debt and trying to contract out nurses. You know, that Medicaid expansion would have been a tremendous, tremendous help to those hospitals west of I-35. From the federal level. Yes, and, and the states agreeing to do that. And when they didn't, we left a lot of money on the table and it was just, it was, it, it's it's devastated a lot of the of, of the rural hospitals. For uh, hold on, let me butt in here. For context, for people who don't pay close attention to state politics, there are the closures of I think at least a third within the last five to ten years yeah. of rural hospitals, and it's come down to the state not reimbursing Medicaid and Medicare to the extent to which they were expected. Yeah. Hospitals working in the red and closing down. That's right. Rural hospitals. You know, yeah, yeah. That's that. That's kind of what we're finding here is that the Medicaid re- reimbursements are not going as high as what was needed to be done, and so this is what we're having. This is this is what you do when you don't fund things correctly. And what we've seen here is that with the opposite party of the you know the party of Dan Patrick and and the constant. Uh, caring about other side issues that that simply don't matter to to average everyday Texans, um, rural West Texas is finding a really tough spot uh, uh, to really get get by. And and you know whenever one hospital closes, that makes it harder for that area to get the care that they need. So they have to drive to a very much lo- longer area, whether it's in, in Snyder or here in Lubbock or in in Slayton or in any other. Uh, uh, places. So that's one area where, where where we agree. Also public education. I mean, look, this is my, this is what I've been talking about for the past 16, 17 months now. Uh, this is an area that is welcoming to everybody. And so when you have a, a lieutenant governor like, you know, like Dan Patrick, who, who has done his war on, on public ed and, and teachers and retired teachers, how in the world can we even, you know, send him back to Austin. And why is nobody, even in the House, even why is no one standing up to him anymore? I mean, we're going to have a new speaker. Do you think that they're standing up privately <laughs> or just not publicly? I don't think they're standing up as much as what they need to, whether privately or publicly. Republicans or Democrats? Yes, yes. Definitely people in his own party who who will say, well, uh, you know, that just shows that that they're just flat out scared. I mean, Ken King, who is running, who, who has a Democratic opponent, has called him flat out a carpetbagger. And this is what you do whenever you carpet bag is that you change your name. I mean, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's, he's the epitome. Dan Patrick is the epitome of what of old Republican you know uh, Reconstruction politics and the, uh, and so uh, he doesn't need to go back to Austin and my opponent is a, is he he and he and Dan Patrick are in lockstep on a, on a lot of things and so um, on things though well when you look at how he uh, at the beginning of the last session 
he talked about, well, I'm open to the idea of education savings accounts. They need to really bring out their, their perspective. Uh, not so good. How in the world is that happening? They're both very much worried about California. Very worried about it. They must stand up. I don't know if they got a telescope out there looking at the West, you know, examining people cross. I don't. I don't get it. I, I don't get the fascination with with California. I just simply don't understand it. And they talk about how we're going to raise taxes. This, you know, it was his budget. It was Dan Patrick's b- budget, and my opponent voted for these tax increases. Your opponent, on, if on you're your, just listening to the program, your, uh, Dustin Burroughs, yeah. your opponent. Go ahead. Yes. And, you know, he, he voted for these tax increases for your property taxes that are in the budget. So uh, he voted to, to keep uh, uh, the state share of public education down. Uh, and so this is where we are. Out of deference to Representative Burroughs, you could draw you, the aforementioned Ken King. Mm-hmm. Did he not vote on the same bill for the same bill? I I'm not running in that race. I don't really know, but I, okay. I'd have to look. But but I'm focused on 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 my race, and I'm just like you know, look, uh, how how can you say that you're proud of your education record when when uh, you you've didn't vote to ex- to really help out uh, re- retired teachers in in the special session? You voted to sink their their retirement. You voted to to, to sink. Uh, the uh, firefighters out of Houston and there and and change their defined benefits to undefined benefits. You don't want teachers to associate. So this is you know th- this is the stance here, um, uh, and this is very much in lockstep with with Dan Patrick. Not to mention the fact that Texans for Vaccine Choice, which is a group that we mentioned earlier, uh, they have endorsed both Dan Patrick and my opponent. Um, you know, we got, you know, uh, Texans uh, for fiscal responsibility. They're on there, too. The Texas, uh, um, oh, the law reform people, the uh, TRL, Texans for lawsuit reform. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. TLR. Sorry. They both um, have 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 endorsed Dan Patrick and, and my opponent. And then the Texas Public Policy Foundation. All of those are arms, are tentacles of empowered Texans. And they are complete people who don't want public education to succeed anymore. Uh, Drew Landry, as we close out with you, uh, I think a lot of people have become familiar with Empowered Texans and their spokesman, Michael Quinn Sullivan, through the whole Regent Gate saga and how Michael Quinn Sullivan effectively slandered uh, Bob Duncan in yeah. the process. I think yeah. that that's where they've really made their name. Uh, but here's uh, some things I'd like uh, out former uh, Texas Tech Chancellor, yes. Bob Duncan. Yes. I. Uh, this is where I'd like to leave off with you. Hit a couple of points as you can over the next. We got two minutes. A uh, couple of points in how people can read more about your campaign. Well, you can follow me on uh, all the social media platforms. You can, you know, I'm on uh, uh, Facebook at Landry for West TX. That's the handle name for all of the social media platforms. I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Instagram. Um, I'm on that snap, whatever that is, Snapchat. I think that's what it's called. I don't know how to use it. My campaign helps me out with that. Um, I got my website, LandryForWestTX.com. Uh, you know, so you can always find me there to find out more about uh, what I'm up to. I constantly like to uh, post things. Um, you know, we're trying our best here to get my opponent to uh, agree to to a debate. Um, it, look, uh, the 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 people of this area deserve to hear an exchange of ideas. And so uh, if you are very much into that, you need to let him know. You need to tweet at, at, at him, at my opponent, to let him know you want the, the debate to happen. Let's see where the differences are because I'm running a campaign where I go everywhere. I take nobody for granted. I don't care if you voted for Bernie Sanders. I don't care if it was Hillary Clinton or even President Trump, Senator Cruz. I don't care who you voted for in 2016 or in 2018 in, in the primaries. You have a voice that deserves to be heard. And I'm the only one in this race who is going from point A to point B, going to football games, going to diners, going to all these types of town hall meetings, knocking on your door, asking for things, asking for your vote, asking for your opinion. My opponent is running a very arrogant, uh, smug, and lazy campaign. And i got to be honest with you, uh, which one is more of a Dan Patrick style? And it's definitely going to be my uh, opponent. So... Uh, this is what I'm about. You know, I'll be at a, uh, I'll be down in uh, Seminole on uh, Friday at their homecoming football game. I'll be at a, a Slayton pep rally on on Friday. I mean, and just after this interview is over, I'm going to be knocking on knocking on some doors. So, you know, I we are very much aware that 
that west of I-35, we don't really get a lot of attention from the other, you know, sets of people like Ross Ramsey, who's, you know, very distinct or in, in, in Texas politics, or Mark P. Jones out of Rice. You know, we don't get a lot of that attention. But we're going to thunderstruck this particular election because we're, we may be out fundraised and we may be outspent, but we're not going to be outworked. And that's kind of blue collar West Texan very much campaign that people can really get around. And I don't care where you live. I'm going to knock on your door. I'm going to ask you what you think. I'm going to ask for your vote because that's what this election's about. And Drew Landry, the website is? www.landryforwesttx.com. Drew Landry, thank you for making time and coming hey, in. Th- thanks for having me, Jay. Thank uh, you, sir. Uh, tomorrow, coming up, here on the next episode of Other Side of Texas, Selena Zito, you read her, Washington Examiner. She has a great pulse on rural America, and she wrote a piece that we want to get into, The Politicians We Deserve. She will be followed up tomorrow on the program by Catherine Hayhoe. A uh, Christian evangelical who is also a climate scientist. Lots to consider on the program. I try to put together a program that I would want to listen to myself. I think we've done that today, and we will continue to do it tomorrow. So for Ross Ramsey, Drew Landry, look forward to tomorrow's episode. Going to get home, got to get home, great family. Above average dinner waiting for me, and we hope to hang out with you next time. Share it with your friends. Just get, just steal their phone. Just take their phone out of their hand and uh, subscribe them to one of the most popular U.S. news and political podcasts in America. We do it with intrigue because that's what we want to do. We rave on here. On your other side, going to get back with you tomorrow from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous. It's AM freezing cold. 580. Love it. See you next episode. Jay West Texas Leeson signing off. I ran a cold front when I gave my truck the rent. Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, leave that city far behind.